Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. I am so excited to speak with our next guests who are a family of four from the Yukon in the north of Canada that are currently spending six months cycling across Europe. And I've been following them on Instagram and really loving all of their posts and actually really impressed that they would do this epic bike trip with their two teens and preteens and um, also the number of um, kilometers that they're getting in. So it's pretty impressive. They they started in Malaga in Spain and are headed to Norway. And I'm going to let them all introduce themselves. I can start. My name is Ed, born in Toronto and grew up in Ontario, but now uh, love living in the Yukon in the middle of the wilderness. And you work as a teacher, is that correct? I'm a high school teacher in in the Yukon at a French school there. Very cool. And lucky enough to get six months off to travel with your family. Yes, very, very, very fortunate. Very fortunate that uh, I wasn't much of a cyclist before I met Jocelyn. And we we met when she was on a cross-Canada cycling tour. And I fell in love with both her and uh, cycling in general. So we had our honeymoon on a bike trip. And now we've been cycling ever since together. Fabulous. And Jocelyn? Yeah, my name's Jocelyn. Um, I'm also, of course, living in the Yukon. I'm from New Brunswick, so on the east coast of Canada. And yeah, I've been cycle touring, um, I guess, now for about half my life. (laughs) And we've taken a bike tour with the kids every year since they were born. And it's definitely been the highlight of parenting for me is sharing all these adventures with the kids every year. I can imagine that. That is like really incredible family time. And how about you two kids? Who wants to go first? Um, my name is Heron. Uh, I, well, I live in Yukon, um, but I was born in Ottawa, and then we lived in Vancouver for a while. But yeah, I'm really happy in the north of Canada and love all the travels that we do. Yeah, I bet. Something fun about Heron is that it's his birthday today. Oh, wow. How old are you? 14. That's fantastic. Does that mean you get to carry extra gear on your bike? We have a day off today. We went surfing. Wow, that sounds amazing. And who's the last fellow that we have here? I'm Sitka. I was born in Ottawa too. And then, yeah, lived in Vancouver for a bit. But I really, really like Yukon. It's really nice. Fantastic. And how old are you, Sitka? 12. And are you riding your own bike and carrying all your own gear on this trip? Yeah, I have two backpackers. And I carry, like, yeah. And do you get tired when you're doing this epic bike tour? Yeah, sometimes. Because you're putting in pretty big miles, aren't you? Yeah, like, sometimes 100 kilometers. That's a lot of kilometers. I'm impressed. Even while you're hauling gear, that's really great. Yeah. I was um like wanting you guys to tell us a bit about where you are now and what you've done so far on your bike trip. Well, we started in Malaga in Spain about uh, five weeks ago. 
And so we went uh, from Malaga out toward Portugal. Sitka did all of the Portugal planning. He can probably tell you more about that. We went all the way up the Portugal Portuguese coast of the Atlantic. Then we went to uh, a reverse route of the Camino de Santiago along the north of Spain. And now we're headed up the coast of France. Wow, that sounds epic. So Sitka, since you um, planned all of the Portugal part, tell me how you did that. In a lot of like the before the trip, like we've, well, we've been planning the trip for a really long time, but like we each picked a couple countries to plan, and then I picked Portugal, Spain, and well, Italy and Denmark. So, like, whenever I had time, I would just like find out, like, find some campsites and try and plan how long the day would be and find some fun stuff along the way. Oh, cool. So when you were planning that Portugal part, um, were you planning like what roads you'd take or what routes you'd take or were you looking for campsites or? Well, Portugal is pretty well organized. So there's like, because there's Eurovela, which is like all around Europe, like all different bike routes. But like some of them are better developed and some of them are less. But so Portugal is really well planned. So it has like, it kind of already plans it out for you. And it has different options of where to stay. Okay, so that was pretty easy because you were following one of the Eurovelo rate routes. Yeah. Now it's funny because I did some of that Eurovelo route in Portugal. And I seem to remember that sometimes the route would kind of land you up in the middle of nowhere that wasn't really where you thought you were going to be ending up. Did that happen to you or have things changed a bit? Well, that happened a couple times. Like it would just put us on a beach. <laughs> oh yeah, with with loaded touring bikes. Yeah, so we'd have to turn around and find a different way. But I think Portugal did a lot of bike infrastructure during COVID. Like Porto, I think, did, like, a 1,000 kilometers, no, like, a 100 or something kilometers just of biking to Shaku during COVID. So I think it's gotten better. Oh, well, that's great then. There'll be a lot of happy cyclists going forward. So, Heron, what was your favorite part of cycling in Portugal? Um, uh, It's, like, it's a tie between the people who were really nice although we couldn't uh it was a little bit difficult at times to understand the portuguese and then the coast like the beaches were fabulous just biking along like boardwalks above the ocean and yeah it was great were you swimming was it warm enough to swim sometimes not not always it was yeah still march so not super warm but sometimes warm enough to want to take a swim and how about you, Sitka? What was your favorite part of Portugal that you planned? For me, it was probably the desserts. You know, I wondered if someone was going to say that because I noticed on your Instagram that you guys are always posting about which desserts you had. Yeah, we try and get a different dessert every day that we haven't tried yet. Okay, so what were the highlight desserts in Portugal? There was a pastel de nata. Oh, yeah. That's famous, isn't it? It's like a pastry 
with like custard inside it. It's like a bit of a pastry bowl with custard. And once I found one that had chocolate on the bottom, yeah, that was really good. Yeah. I bet. I bet. Now, Heron, are you as um, interested in the desserts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good, good, good. I wanted to make sure. And uh, did you have any favorites from that part of your trip? Now I'm thinking about it. I keep remembering desserts from Spain because we've had different ones every day. So not one that comes to mind other than what Sitka said. But they, yeah, they were all really good. It's been a really great way to have the kids practice their language skills. So we developed this challenge as a family, the Desserts of Europe Challenge. So every day the goal is to get a new dessert that costs less than two euros that they've never tried before. And they have to go in and order it in the language of the country that we're in. So they've got to go in and in Portuguese, you know, have a conversation and order a dessert and they have to, you know, figure out what it's called and write it down and pay for it. So it's it's really broken down a lot of those sort of barriers that happen sometimes when kids are a bit shy because they're very motivated to go in and you know have a conversation and find a new dessert and get a recommendation so they were doing that in Portuguese and then in Spanish and now in French it's so easy because they go to a French school in Canada but it's been uh, it's been a great part of the trip you know something new every day and going and meeting new people every day and trying something delicious so yeah it's been great fun and people on Instagram we had no idea people were so interested in desserts but we always get, if we forget to post about the dessert, people are like, where's the dessert? I want to know what you ate today. <laughs> well, that's like an epic idea to get them involved in doing that. Did you guys know Portuguese and Spanish before you left on this trip? Uh, I took a Spanish course at school, but other than that, not really. Portuguese is, is like the spelling is very similar to Spanish, but when they start talking, it just all sounds like one word. And so how have you picked up enough Portuguese to ask for a dessert recommendation? Well, just like being immersed in it really helps. Yeah. And so we were asking you, Heron, about which dessert you like the best. And you said you kept on, I was asking about Portugal, and you said all you could think of were the ones in Spain. So I, I'm wondering, like, which was it in Spain? That's mostly because we were in Spain last, so those are the ones that are on my mind. Maybe I'll get back to you on that You really liked all the Basque desserts. Yeah, there was the Basque region in Spain. There's, a, there's It's like a different language and everything, which we didn't understand. But the their baking... No, they everybody speaks Spanish and Basque. Yeah, so their baking has like a lot of almond flour and kind of pies and things. Nice, nice. Uh, it's funny you were talking about the Basque language because there was one day in the pouring rain, my husband and I were trapped in a train station in the Basque region and these two policemen came up and they were talking to us and uh, of course I couldn't understand Basque and they couldn't speak English or Spanish too much so we talked on Google Translate. So who planned the part on the Camino in uh, Spain? That part was, was kind of a question mark. We knew that we were really interested in doing the Camino, but we didn't know how doable it would be on a bike. It was kind of improv, improv the whole time. Yeah. Okay. And did you guys stick to the walkers part of the Camino, or were you following more the bikers route? The bikers route most of the time ended up being the Camino. 
but a lot of the time, if there was a lot of hikers on the trail and there was like a, a, like a quiet road that paralleled the Camino, we would take that because yeah, there's a lot of people. We we saw online that there was three hundred fifty thousand people per year per stage that walk the Camino. So that means like a like in the high season, like fifteen hundred people per twenty kilometers. Like it's sometimes it can be difficult, especially going the other way. Yeah, I bet. We were hopping around a lot. We were using a lot of different maps, trying to go on the Camino, but also not run over any people and <laughs> not get stuck in a bunch of mud or stairs or anything. It would be much easier on mountain bikes, but, you know, we just, we didn't have mountain bikes. Yeah. And was it hard? Like, were you on a lot of chip trails where the bags kind of uh, weighed you down? Or were you on a lot of uh, paved roads? I'd say it was mostly paved. I mean, we it was good in that very often it would be par- quite parallel to where the kind of uh, more rugged uh, walking trail was. And, and then we were on the paved trail as well, on a paved road. And so very frequently we would just be passing. And it was pretty amazing how many people we run into. So we had walked the Camino back when Heron was a baby and going the right direction. And so you run into people every once in a while, but this you're going against the flow. So we're probably seeing all of those 1,500 people every day. And Buen Camino, Buen Camino, Buen Camino. It was quite... It was quite awesome to see that many people. It was kind of a fleeting moment of connection with everyone, but it was pretty incredible how much how much energy there is on that trail there. And I was wondering, um, like one of the highlights people find when they do the Camino, whether they're walking or cycling, is all the people that they meet. Um, I, I know that's what people will often comment on is, oh, I made so many friends and that type of thing. And I was wondering... As a family of four going the opposite direction, did you have that opportunity? Yeah, at all the albergues every night, there would still be all the people that were going the other way. So when we would have a communal dinner with everyone, everyone just in general, being in the same like space as everybody allowed us to meet a lot of people. Everybody going the same way, doing the same thing, kind of like takes away the the need to be shy. Like, right away it's just like oh you have the same interest as me we're both doing the Camino right now like you're instantly talking to them. That's a really good point I think that's a really fun thing about you know doing a long bike or a long hike is yeah you meet other people and you instantly have something in common that's like really sage comment I think. Did you meet many other children Sitka? I think we met like a couple other families but not really. In between Santiago de Compostela and like about a hundred kilometers out there was a lot of school groups because it was Semana Santa so they had it off so they would walk it during the Semana Santa so there was like groups of like 50 people just walking a lot in that section. That would be hard if you have to get by them on a narrow path I would imagine. Yeah. And when you guys were doing this trip so far, have you been camping or staying in hotels? Or I mean, because Heron mentioned that um, you stayed in some albergues. It's all about the community on the Camino. So, you know, staying on a tent on our own doesn't really have the same the same experience on the Camino as staying in the dorms with everybody else. But um, yeah, we're going to be camping pretty much from here on out. We anticipate through the summer. And in Portugal, I mean, the accommodation was so affordable, it was often cheaper to stay in a beautiful hotel than it was to stay at the campground. So 
we uh, we got spoiled a bit in Portugal. It was lovely. That's a nice way to get spoiled, isn't it? Uh, now, I've heard that the camping along those major Eurovelo routes in France is spectacular. We, we didn't do it, but we met a couple when we were cycling part of that route that said the campsites were just epic, that they were really, you know, well uh, suited to cyclists. So I'll be interested to hear about that when the time comes. So what's been the highlight for you, Heron, of the Camino part of your bike trip? I'd say just meeting everybody, like just having that experience. Twice we had like a communal dinner where we'd sit down at one big table with everybody and eat dinner and we'd just tell each other about where we're from and where we're going and everybody had their own story. Fun. And how about you, Sitka? Yeah, I really like the meeting people. And so when I wasn't born yet, but when Heron did the Camino on my mom's back, they took pictures at spots and then we recreated the pictures, but with Heron as 13 instead of four months old. So it was really funny. Yeah, I bet. That does sound really fun. Uh, I bet you don't remember anything, Heron. Not really, no. No, I doubt it. Now, Sitka, I'm dying to ask you, what was the best dessert along the Camino? It was one, it was like a giant flaky pretzel with a bunch of chocolate like rolled into it. And it had like caramel and almond bits on it. That was probably my favorite. There was a lot of really, really good ones though. Sitka's interest in, in the desserts is also culinary. So he's a budding chef. He has a friend at home that they, uh, they bake very often together. And for Christmas, he got a baking recipe book. So he's seeing it, not for the taste as well, but how could I recreate this? And when we went and saw the pastel de nata being made live uh, in Lisbon, I think it was. Yeah. It was fascinating to him. So he's ready to recreate all of these recipes when we get home. Wow, I guess you're going to have some pretty lucky friends when you get home. and They're going to be having all of these amazing desserts with you. And so now you guys are um, just starting out along the coast, the Atlantic coast of France. And how has that been? This is Aaron's section. He's planned out France, so maybe he'll tell a bit about it. Um, yeah, it's only been one day now of biking, but, uh, we've had, it's, like, well-signed, it's flat, it's straight, so far it's been, it's not like the Portuguese coast, the Portuguese coast is a lot of, like, in and out of coves, so you'd have, like, a a 10% grade downhill and then a 10% grade uphill, like, five times in one day. Yeah, Heron, there's one thing I just wanted to interject because I do have a very strong memory of it. It's not just a 10% grade down and a 10% grade up, but it's all that as well is as very rough cobblestones as well on the ground, <laughs> making it extra challenging. <laughs> yeah, so it, you were saying that France is different because you're not going up and down along those uh, rough paths. We weren't really sure what to expect, but because, well, we had seen Portugal and the cobblestone hills, but here it's very flat, surprisingly. Yeah, I think 
on our day biking into where we are now. It was, I think, nearly 90 kilometers, and our high point on the trail was 54 meters above sea level. So it's really, like, it's it's right next to the ocean all the time. Beautiful. And where are you planning, since you're the Fr- uh, France planner, where are you planning to go from here um, on in in France? We bike from here to Nantes, where we leave the coast. We meet my aunt there, and we bike from there to Orléans, and then we have, I think, two days, and we go to Paris, have a day in Paris just to see Paris, <laughs> and then and then we go back to Orléans on the train, and then to Switzerland. Now, when you do that part um, from Nantes to Orléans, are you going to be on the Eurovelo 6 there? Yeah. I think if you're really enjoying those well-marked flat routes, you're going to love the Eurovelo 6, because <laughs> it's like that too. Well, that it sounds like you guys are having an amazing time. I mean, one of the things that really impressed me about your family was that this isn't the first big trip you've done. Like, you've done a lot of trips in the back, even when your kids were really little. And you mentioned that you actually walked the Camino when Heron was an infant, which, wow, like standing ovation or what? Brave people. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about some of the other trips you've done? why both kids speak Spanish outside of Heron learning it in school so we did a trip in Cuba a few years ago and that was really amazing I think that was we're still in in the tandems but that was a really amazing experience again just being immersed in the culture because you know when you're not staying at resorts when you're staying in small little towns as you're biking through they just have a totally different experience with language and culture and being fully immersed so Cuba was Cuba was a great trip um, six years ago, we did another six-month bike trip through New Zealand, Australia, and French Polynesia, and that's the one that Ed's written a book about. Um, all the other trips have been North America, I think. We've done a bike trip every year through um, Canada and the U.S., mostly on the on the West Coast. And yeah, every every year is a different adventure, and it sure helps. You know, the kids the kids are very very strong and very used to you know, the joy and adventure of packing up and going to a new place every day and meeting new people and experiencing new things. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not a big stretch for them to do it because it's kind of a normal part of our family annual fun. What a great way to spend time together. I was wondering how you both get um, such long times off work, because that sometimes is what limits people. Although you just mentioned some of the trips you did during March break and things like that. We, we always take the summer off. I'm a naturopathic doctor, so I have my own clinic, and my patients just know that in the summer I'm not there <laughs> and that I will be back. And I just try to set everybody up with treatment plans for the summer, make sure that they're taken care of, and um, then I come back so that that works. And Ed's a teacher, so he gets the summer off and the kids get the summer off. And when up north, our summer is um, it's a bit longer than down south. Like our summer break is about nine or ten weeks. Oh, yeah, that's really good. And you mentioned um, that Ed had written a book about um, your trip through Australia, New Zealand, and Polynesia. Tell us a bit about that, Ed. As things have evolved and as we've uh, been on these trips, every time we uh, are along, people say, oh, you should write a book about it. And we keep saying, yeah, 
we're going to write a book about it. And uh, then we get home after these trips and, and life takes over and we haven't been able to uh, kind of put it together. And then uh, in Australia, New Zealand, when we went six years ago, just after Joss finished her, her med school and, uh, and I had finished uh, teacher's college. So we were ready to kind of embark on new careers. We celebrated with a six month trip to Australia and New Zealand and we kept a blog. And so every week we had to, we were writing about what had happened that week. And the book is essentially in a, a compilation of those blogs put together. And I think most people that have been asking us write a book because we want to know how you did it and, and why, what you eat and all of the, some of the logistical details that to us didn't seem interesting, but we uh, wrote, uh, wrote about that to help people out in terms of uh, just to inspire them, but also to let them a little bit and to know about uh, how it is that we go about doing it. Fantastic. And from what you told me before, that book is um, now available on Amazon if people are interested. That's right. And it was really fun to, to go back over it again. And just we were laughing at all of these stories and all of the different uh, the highlights and also the lowlights. Looking back, we can kind of giggle at all of the, the cow poop we stepped in and the flat tires and the exploding stoves. And so now these things are, are, are funny again to us. And so it was a really interesting experience to kind of put that all together. And yeah, it's uh, available on our website and through Amazon. You can kind of get a, a book on demand, which is kind of a neat way to do it. I think it makes uh, publishing and t sharing stories more accessible to folks. Uh, if you can put your put your just stories online, you can get it formatted and, and it's quite easy to upload. So it's great and it's very easy for everyone to access. Now, you, it sounds like you have many months ahead of you on the trip you're currently on, and you're going through much of um, Europe. I was wondering from the boys what you're looking forward to most in the next few months. Sitka? Well, I'm really excited about Italy because, well, I'm really excited about the Dolomites because we might go mountain biking there and do hiking. and. I'm also into mythology, so it'd be cool to go to Rome. So, yeah. And Greece, too, yeah? Yeah, we're going to Greece, too, so. And are you planning to see a big soccer game when you're in Italy, too? The, the soccer has been kind of a cultural experience. The boys have been following uh, European soccer for a long time, and so there was one of the one of the highlights that they had planned out was to go to Paris. But then when we went through Porto, it just so happened that there was a game that day. So we were able to get tickets and we thought it would be really complicated and we thought it would be huge crowds. And, but it was, it was quite, quite an, quite an awesome family experience just to go to a soccer game. They're very animated, but uh, it didn't get into the kind of the hooliganism that you kind of hear about in, in European soccer. It was kind of a fun family experience. And we got to, sing along when they scored the goals and it was quite a neat way to share something with the people there wow super fun i know um when my kids were little we took them to a couple of those european soccer matches and yeah boy do they ever remember that well that is uh, first ever surf lesson today so now after doing that i think our our west coast of france experience is mostly going to be biking from surf rental to surf rental well, that sounds actually like the perfect place to do it because I noticed that there were so many surfboards all along that coast and people biking with their surfboards. Have you seen that yet, Heron? 
Now, um, you had mentioned earlier that you had started planning this trip years ago. Um, does I know you have a long way to go in this trip, but does that mean you're also thinking about what you're going to do next at this time, or are you saving that for when you're done? Yeah, we're trying to just uh, be here in the present. We were we were actually going to do this trip two years ago, but then it got deferred with COVID. So we're just really excited that it's uh, that it's finally happening and that we're here and that we got the time off. And yeah, we're just really happy to be to be right in it. Yeah, sounds sounds fantastic. Well, it's been so nice having you all on the podcast, and it's been great to hearing your stories, and I'm looking forward to more photos of dessert, Sitka, so I can see what you're trying and what you um, are going to make when you get home in the fall. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, If you'd like to read more about um, the family's experience on this epic bike trip, you can look at their blog. It's yukon4explore.com where four is the number. Or you can follow them on Instagram at at yukon4explore. And if you're interested in reading their book about their big trip on bikes as a family through Australia, New Zealand, and Polynesia. There's information about that book on the blog, or you can buy it on Amazon. Um, And I'll include all those um, links in the show notes. Really great to hear all your stories, guys, and have a super time and catch a lot of waves for the next few weeks. Cheerio! We hope you enjoyed this episode of the 10 Adventures podcast. If you liked it, why not give us a review? Better yet, subscribe and get inspired again and again. Also, if you want to find your own adventures, why not check out 10adventures.com where you can use our free resources to plan your own trip or book a tour in over 60 countries and make your own epic memories on your next adventure.